Welcome to Filmstrip. These podcasts are spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes of the films in review. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. Welcome to Episode 300 of Filmstrip. I'm Jay. And I'm Brian. And for this momentous occasion, we're reviewing Terminator 2 Judgment Day, starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, Linda Hamilton, Robert Patrick, and Edward Furlong. Directed by James Cameron, released in 1991 on a $100 million budget, grossed over $500 million at the box office. When they did it, Brian, people said, there's no way this movie can make that money back. That's insane. It was the most expensive movie ever made at the time. James Cameron has a habit of doing that and then turning them into massive hits. And, uh, man, I remember distinctly when this came out in 1991 because my friends and I were all watching MTV all the time. You could not escape that friggin' Guns N' Roses badass song, You Could Be Mine, which was like a big commercial for this movie. And I remember going to the theater with them to see this, uh, not being technically old enough to get in the theater to see it, but uh, living in a time when the theater did not care. And so I got to see this <laughs> on the big screen. I saw it a couple of times, actually, on the big screen, and uh, has just been a big one, man, for, for years. And... Uh, yeah, Terminator 2, man. We've kind of circled around the Terminator series for years here on Filmstrip with the caveat of like, yeah, but after number two, who wants to talk about any of those? And then they just keep making bad ones. And so we finally decided, you know what, for number 300, let, let's break out the big guns and, and do Terminator 2. So what, what's your memories and recollections of this one? Well, first and foremost, I don't think all of the sequels after two are that bad. Um, they just really came out with a really crappy one with that Terminator Salvation. That was just... Mm-mm, no, not good. But uh, I've seen a couple of the new, I think Terminator Genesis, I thought that was okay. And I got the most recent one, I think, uh, sitting Dark there fate. on, yeah, unopened. I haven't watched it yet, but I'm willing to watch it. Why not? Uh, anything's better than that Salvation one. That one was just wretched. As far as Terminator 2 goes, uh, I didn't watch it when it first came out. I would have been, oh gosh, only about 13 or 14 when it first came out. So that was just a no-no in my house. I couldn't watch that type of movie. Uh, So it was later on, uh, I remember watching Terminator 1 with, I think it was my dad and my brother at the time. And he had no clue what it was. And we really were getting into it and all. So really enjoyed Terminator 1. And I thought, well, I need to check out Terminator 2 because Guns N' Roses' son is in that movie, right? Right. And I love You Could Be Mine. So I rented it and watched it and just, I mean, it blows Terminator 1, in my opinion, out of the water. And Terminator 1 is pretty good. I would say. So, I mean, spoiler alert on my thoughts on this movie, but uh, yeah, I mean, I watched it then. I watched it throughout college. I watched it just, it's one of those movies. It's just so good and so much fun to revisit all the time. And it doesn't get old, I don't think. Yeah, I, I was looking if I got to see Terminator on home video with my dad and my brother, actually. I think my dad and brother rented it. My brother been a little bit older. And dad thought, okay, yeah, you know, he can handle this. And I mean, I'm probably, it was probably 1986, 87 or something. So it's been out for a few years, but I had heard about it. You know, people talk about it, but I didn't know what it was. And I watched it and I didn't think I totally got it. I just thought, man, Conan the Barbarian's a robot. Cool. <laughs> you know, like that's, I knew Schwarzenegger 
was. Yes. And it was only until years later that I think I really developed an appreciation for that first Terminator movie. And in the same way that Ridley Scott says Halloween and a lot of haunted house movies really inspired the the work of Alien and how that worked. James Cameron will tell you Halloween is pretty much the Terminator with a robot. You replace the gun with a knife. And it, yeah. it is kind of a horror movie, and it works on that level. I happen to really like that first Terminator movie, but this was one I often bring up in conversation of, hey, the sequel might be better. You know, you could say that about Aliens, too. I know there's people in that camp that like that one better than the the first alien movie and I'll, I'll play my cards at the end on, on how I feel about it. But yeah, this one man was big. And like I say, me and my friends, it was in between middle school and high school. So we were you know all about these movies and uh, going to them and the little Capri Ford didn't care. And uh, as long as you had cash. And so I went and saw it and uh, saw it twice. Like I said, and it was, it was a thing to see on a big screen. I mean, I, every now and then they put these things back out. If you get a chance, I highly recommend it. It looks awesome. Yeah. Uh, but Brian, this is the second DVD I ever bought. Um, I, I had uh, one of the anniversary editions of Jaws and I bought Terminator 2 with the first DVD player I ever had. And the, the two disc set I got has like, I don't know, like a film school on the second disc. I mean, it's all the making <laughs> of stuff you could ever want. So I have watched all of that. I've seen the, director's cut extended edition all that stuff but honestly the one i always go back to is the the standard theatrical edition it's what i watch for this review i think it's yep. the superior cut uh and it works totally and you know not to play it too far ahead but yeah obviously we like this movie but the cool thing about it is to look at something that's 30 years old now and see how much it holds up and how seminal it was and all the things it borrowed from to get where it was and then what it launched in its wake. I mean, it changed action sci-fi movies forever. Yeah. And the other thing is uh, how much the warning of that movie is to today's world we live in. Right. I mean, big brothers always watching and uh, you know, Skynet is there. It's called Amazon um, (laughs) and Google. iCloud. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) They're all listening all the time. You get, you go look for something online to shop. And the next thing you know, it's all over your Facebook feed. In advertisements and everything else. So, yeah. I mean, it's kind of scary to think about. Yeah, I mean, you know, or- Orwell had that down. Huxley had that down in Brave New World. Uh, Philip K. Dick had that down in Minority Report. I mean, mm-hmm. that's yeah, it. Was the idea that intelligence and surveillance would not be used to attack you, but be used to sell to you. <laughs> that's, that's the way Skynet has got us today. But back in the early 90s, we're coming out of the Cold War. There's still those latent fears about, you know, we're going to hit the big one. The nukes will go off, you know, and or inadvertently something will happen. And that's kind of how this movie works, too. And playing into those fears that if you if you give over thinking and intelligence to a machine, the machine's logical choice is to go, well, you're both a threat, so let me just eliminate you. And yeah, that's, that's yeah. the scary part. And that's what James Cameron's Terminator-verse has always been about, is that it's not so much that the machines see us as uh, an enemy as much as we're just a bigger threat, so just have to get rid of us. Yeah, for sure. And uh, you, they do a good job telling the whole story. And we do need to, I think, talk a little bit about Terminator 1 before getting into Terminator 2, because yeah. it's really something you have to watch first because it explains a lot of you know sarah connor and other things like that so i mean just basically you know what do you think is a good summary of what terminator one was about because terminator two is way different than terminator one i think 
Well, it, it's a repeat of it, but it's also a different story. And, and it's one of those things that happens in time travel movies. We, we've spent some time with those uh, this year with the Back of the Future movies and stuff. And then Ron and I did Final Countdown, which is in the same vein. And I got to thinking about that before this review. And when you think about Terminator 2 in context of Terminator 1, the first Terminator, it's very simple. In the future, about eight years from now, 2029, there's a war between the machines and the surviving people, right? And the machines realize they're about to lose this war because John Connor has led the resistance. And it realizes, well, we just got to eliminate him. So the, you know, there's been so many records lost. The best way to do that is to go back and just kill his mother so that he's never born. So they create an infiltration cyborg unit the Terminator, to go back in time to murder her in Los Angeles. All it knows is that she's in Los Angeles around 1984. So go there. And Connor realizes this and sends his top lieutenant, a guy named Kyle Reese, back to save Sarah. And he also, at some point, realizes this is the guy that will ultimately become my father. That gets a little trippy. You can There's tons of good YouTubes on that. But he sends him back. And the byproduct of that is that both of those units that go back, the T-800 and Kyle Reese, create the future that we live with here in Terminator 2. Um, right. Kyle Reese does save Sarah in the process. They you know, get together. She gets pregnant. He dies you know, defending her. She destroys or kills the, the Terminator unit, but the stuff that's left over from it is what's used to sort of catalyst this story forward because the whole idea is that once the Skynet machines who are artificial intelligence that we hook all the defense network into become self-aware, it realizes, well, I got to take out human you know, beings. So it launches against our biggest enemy who automatically launches against us. And then you know, in the Holocaust, the machines rise. Yep. And that's, that's Terminator 1. But it ends with Sarah Connor driving off into the distance into Mexico pregnant, recording tapes that you know, John will someday listen to. And what it does is... You have to kind of think about in timelines, John, that first Terminator starts with John Connor knowing or making a decision that we're going to send, you know, I'm going to send somebody back to, to stop that infiltration unit from killing my mother. And in doing so, he sets forth a lot of things in motion. His mother was, was nobody. He was the leader of the resistance, but now he basically makes her the grandmother of the resistance in a way. Yeah. And so she becomes the person we meet in this movie. So that, I mean, it's neat how they tie together. And I think you're exactly right. Sometimes you can jump in on a sequel and it'll, you, you just jump right in and you're fine. You know, I think back, I think back when we were doing the Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, dueling uh, series and stuff, you were on the nightmare shows when they were, Ron was doing Friday and I said, all you really got to do is watch Friday four and then you're good. Like it tells you everything you need to know. (laughs) (laughs) And, but, but Terminator's not like that. And I think if you walked into Terminator two without knowing Terminator one, at least having, you know, at least seen it once or know a good bit of it, it would be tough to catch up. It's one of those that where they're definitely interconnected each other. Feel the same way about alien and aliens. I don't know that you can watch aliens and really get everything that you need to know, but it tells its own story. But it's like watching Empire Strikes Back without seeing the original Star Wars. Like you can kind of follow it, but you don't really know who these people are or why they're doing what right. they're doing. I agree with that completely. Um, you know, as we come into this movie, and we'll we'll talk about the plot here in a second, though. Uh, I can't recall off the top of my head. Now I searched and searched for my Terminator One. I wanted to watch it before this review, and I couldn't find the darn thing. I have most of my movies packed away in a crawl space, which 
I just don't go in because it's so packed full of stuff. But um, I was hoping to find it. It wasn't streaming anywhere. I was just out of luck. You know, you said they, they set it up where she's pregnant. So we don't ever learn why she ends up where she is, right? Yeah, we we do. They say it in this movie, too. Um, it's yeah. not said in the first movie, but it's okay. dropped in this movie, how she gets into the institution. Uh, but yeah, they leave us with her pregnant and driving off into like a storm in the distance. So it's like she knows what is coming because now she lives her life with knowledge that she wouldn't have had, had yeah. Kyle Reese not come back, told her everything was about to happen. So she now has to live her life. Kind of like we talked about with Doc Brown and all the times he's had to travel back and forth. He has to do certain things from 1955 to the new 85 to make all that stuff happen again. She now has to make sure, you know, John is ready for you know whatever's coming on Judgment Day. Yeah, well, she first tries to take care of it herself, as we yeah. find out. But uh, once she can't do that, then, yes, she needs to also ready him just in case. All right. Let's talk about it, Jay. Why don't you give us a plot summary for Terminator 2? It's 1995, and John Connor's living with foster parents in Los Angeles, California. His mother, Sarah Connor, was institutionalized for trying to blow up a factory. She's convinced as part of a network that creates Skynet, which she knows will bring about a nuclear holocaust. John is a rebellious preteen, and while he clearly still cares for his mother, he's over her obsession with the future and what his role in it is supposed to be. All that gets turned upside down when two Terminators are sent back. One to assassinate young John Connor, the liquid metal T-1000, played by Robert Patrick. And one sent to protect him, the T-800 model from the first movie, once again played by Arnold Schwarzenegger. John's foster parents are killed, and he escapes with the help of the T-800 and goes to rescue Sarah, who is more than skeptical of his protector. Sarah learns from the T-800 that the man most directly responsible for creating Skynet is Miles Dyson, a genius who works for Cyberdyne and reverse engineers the chip found in the Smash Terminator from the first movie to create a neural net processor which powers the future Skynet. Sarah goes to kill Dyson, but stops herself while John and the T-800 show up to reveal to the Dysons the future which leads them you know, down the path that they're going toward. Dyson decides to help the group destroy the processor and all of his work. The police arrive and a major shootout ensues, but John's convinced the T-800 not to kill anymore, so it just wounds several police officers and blows up a load of police cars and stuff, <laughs> and the, destroys most of the building while leading the group to safety. The T-1000 shows up and more fighting ensues, and Dyson is shot, and he ultimately blows himself up and his creation and all of his work. With the T-8-1000 in hot pursuit, the group make it to a metalworks factory where the T-800 blows the T-1000 into pieces after freezing it with liquid nitrogen. The heat of the factory, though, allows the T-1000 to reform and it continues to give chase. The T-1000 eventually pins the T-800 to the floor with an iron rod, which appears to shut down its power core. The T-1000 masquerades as Sarah to lure John out, but the real Sarah shows up and shoots it several times with a shotgun. Turns out, though, the T-800 had a backup power system, which fires up, and it shows up to finish off the T-1000 with a grenade launcher, and the disfigured T-1000 falls into a vat of molten steel, which ultimately destroys it. John throws the chip from Dyson and the uh, working arm from the original Terminator into the hot metal, but the T-800 knows, too, it must be destroyed because of the chip it carries. So despite John's tearful pleas, Sarah and the T-800 know what to do as she lowers it into the molten steel and destroys the final chip. Sarah and John head off into an unknown future, but one where they finally feel hopeful that mankind will not destroy itself as credits roll. And that's about the quickest way I can get us through Terminator 2. There's a lot to unpack in there, Brian. But, yeah. uh, you know, really when you boil it down, though, it is it is a 
a big set of chases. It's a chase to get John. You're to retrieve John. It's a chase to get Sarah. We get a little break in Mexico, and then it's a chase to Cyberdyne and a, and a showdown with that T-1000. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, really, the chase for Sarah wasn't supposed to happen, obviously. But uh, John finally realizes that Mom's right after he meets the Terminator, and maybe he needs her help. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's wild how it all goes down there. I think it is. Yeah. It's neat that the movie starts again in that 2029, that that distant future and stuff, and then we see the Terminators both arrive, same way they do in the first movie. And I wanted to ask you when, if you can remember back when you first saw this, did you know that one of these was evil and one was good, and which one was which going in? Oh heck, no. No, I didn't really know a whole lot about it. I just know that Arnold played the really bad guy in the first one, so I had no clue he was going to be a good guy in this one. And he doesn't give you any reason to believe he's going to be a good guy either because he rocks into that biker bar and beats the crap out of everyone <laughs> and steals all their stuff. So <laughs> how are you supposed to know he's there to help, right? Uh, other than the fact that uh, they kind of do it in a voiceover type thing. Yeah, the way it's done, I, I think for me, I remember distinctly knowing going into this movie, oh, Arnold's the good guy this time, because they blow that in the trailer. Uh, that mm. showdown where he's shooting at the other one and protects John, is that scene's in the trailer. And I've always thought like, and James Cameron has said too, he's like, I hate that they blew that in the trailer, but you know, Arnold was telling everybody in the world he was the good guy this time, so what was I going <laughs> to do? I'd be Arnold, not one to not talk. And at this point, had become such a megastar. And we should say, you know, I, Nick and I did Predator a, a couple weeks ago, and that was a big hit for Arnold. But this one launched him into a different world as far as Absolutely. being a, a bankable star uh, and something he would go back to several times uh, for several different reasons throughout his career. But this was a, a big moment for him. So I don't know that I've ever watched this movie and not known that one of these guys is, quote, good and the other one's clearly not. I think it's neat how they're introduced, though, because Arnold's clearly on a mission. And, and that's one of the things about the time travel units in these movies I've always liked. You can't wear anything or take anything back with you. You can't take any weapons. You can't do anything. you got to go through just pure flesh. Mm -hmm. So he goes in that biker bar, and he's looking around for somebody roughly his size. You know, and he's just walking around naked like, no, whatever, you know, and finds that burly looking, you know, roadie from Guns N' Roses or whatever. And <laughs> what I love is he's like, I need all your stuff. And the guy's like, you forgot to say please. And then he beats the holy hell out of it, which is awesome. Um, it also gives him something iconic in this movie, that shotgun. That is a real thing, but they, they made the loop, the handle loop on it where you cock it like a lever action mm -hmm. bigger so Arnold could flip it around. And he actually learned how to do that. They built that prop for him to be able to do it. I've always thought that was one of the most iconic gun things I've ever seen in the movie. Oh, big time. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a cool shape looking, looking weapon. It's, you know, perfect for him. It's almost like a side weapon, right? Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> on a, on a Terminator. But uh, I love that, uh, you know, the bike he steals has an actual holding spot for it and everything. It's just, you know, perfect, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I love this scene because he's in there, uh, you know, buck naked and everyone's like, whoa, whoa. And the girls are all like, ooh, you know, and you can tell it's a sleaze bar. And, uh, you know, my favorite part of the whole, whole thing is at the end, after he's beat the holy crap out of all of these bikers the bartender comes out with said shotgun and says i can't let you take his bike and i'll just walks up to him and is just like 
Yeah, give me that. <laughs> yeah, well, no, it's even better. He does that, and he picks his sunglasses out. It takes his sunglasses. Yep, gotta have the classic shades. Terminator sunglasses. Yeah, uh, yo, know, I thought that was just great. And the bartender's lucky he didn't get his butt kicked too. But uh, a great little scene. And like I said, if you didn't know which Terminator is which coming into this, you would think at this point that Arnold's the bad Terminator because right. he's not doing anything nice right now. No, <laughs> he's he's destroying things and everything else. And when we we first see Robert Patrick, we don't know what he is other than he's just another naked man. And we see him punch this cop out, but he doesn't appear to kill him. And then the next scene, we see him in the uniform. And mm-hmm. he goes and he looks at the the police computer in the in the car, and he looks at John Connor, and it's like, well, maybe he's there to protect him. I mean, that's what they're kind of playing with is that he is. Yeah. But if, you know, once you've seen the movie, you know the no is that okay? This is an infiltration unit, just like another Terminator. It's it's doing what the other one did in the first movie, which is you know look a page in the phone book. This one is like, nope, we're going here. Yeah. What's different about this, and what's neat about this one, is that the Arnold Terminator, the T eight hundred knows where to go to find John. The other one has to do the searching for it, which is kind of neat. Like they programmed it to no, go to my foster parents and get me there or find out where I've gone from there. And then that's when we meet John as the bratty preteen. Now they play with the age here in the sequels where they try to make him older than he really is. Edward Furlong was 13 when they made this movie, or 12 and 13 when they made this movie. He's supposed to be playing a 10-year-old. I kind of buy it. It sort of works in there. I mean, he, yeah. it says he's 10 on the screen. I'm like, he looks a little older than 10, but, you he's, know, okay. Yeah, he comes off as much older than 10 in this movie. I would yeah. have said in his teenage years, for sure. Yeah. I didn't realize that he was supposed to be 10. Um yeah, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, but if you if you do the math, I mean, they were originally in there in what eighty four, eighty five. So pregnant yeah. nine months that puts them at about eighty five, eighty six. So ninety five is what they're at right now. That's, that's what they're saying. Sense. But again, the timeline on on Terminator stuff gets adjusted as the sequels get heavier. Sure, and stuff. yeah. I, I'm with the fact that he's twelve or thirteen. He looks like yeah. I, he was my age at the time. Is what he's supposed to be. And I, I remember looking at that going like, yeah, you know, that I had friends that had dirt bikes that could ride them basically like, you know, just down the street and stuff yeah. like that. They couldn't drive them, you know, much. But the town I grew up in wasn't like, you know, you had to go somewhere to get to the interstate. So, you know, people rode those all around like it was no big deal. Yeah, absolutely. Same same for me when I grew up. I you know, It was a four-mile bike ride into town, and we had a highway there, but it wasn't like it is today. Now it's used a lot. But back yeah. then, mm Oh yeah, I, don't, I I love going back to my hometown now, and the way that used to be the quick way around town is now like a stoplight every five seconds. You know, it's just <laughs> all grown up and, and different <laughs> than it used to be. But in in the nineties, like you could sort of just put yourself there and go like, yeah, I get it. And I'd never been to L.A. and still have it, and yeah. don't know anything about the way it's laid out. But we see John here, and what I love is he's got Danny Cooksey, um, who a lot of people will know from his turn on Different Strokes and some other little stuff he did. He was also in a metal band for a while. I think this was at the time when he was in like a teenage metal band or something. One of like Steve Vai's proteges with the guitar player. So interesting. Uh, he was the singer in it. But he, you know, they're punk kids. And what I love is John Connor and him have a way like through I don't know what kind of computer that is. I was hoping you would know where they rip off the ATM. I mean it's pretty mm. intricate stuff for a kid in ninety one. Yeah, I I have no idea. I mean it was some handheld device that he was able to splice in with um just probably something he created. You know, kid's supposed to be a genius, right? Yeah. So I mean, it just shows that he's able to create this uh, 
what are you? I don't know what you want to call it. It's kind of like a chip. Yeah, they they insert a card that basically figures out what the pin on it was, and and then they you know they rip something it off. Runs a program, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is nineteen ninety. This was when did this come out? Ninety ninety one. Ninety one. Yeah, computers weren't a big deal back then, right? I mean, you had Apple IIs, mm-hmm. and those were in computer labs, right? Yeah, the, so the computers like, were, were like the ones at Cyberdyne here, where it's banks of yeah. little reels and stuff. Well, I wouldn't say that. Those are the mainframes and stuff, but they did have you know computers in schools. They were yeah. big, boxy things. Not even, not even big, actually. They were real small monitors, green light usually, and it was maybe two or three in your high school, and you got to use it only when you needed to do some sort of report or something. So, yeah. I mean, they weren't that big a deal. So a handheld like that... Um, you know, laptops didn't really become a big deal until the mid nineties. So a handheld device like that was something kind of cool. So you have to yeah. take it on the fact that he created it somehow. Well, and what, and what we'll learn is that Sarah had been around with a lot of different men through the years who had some piece of information or access to things that would help her. You know, one's a gun runner. That's the one we'll get to meet in this one and that she had built up a storage with him and sort of holding on to it for her for when the time comes. But she introduced John to who all these different people, right? So that he could pick up knowledge and he, and he throws it off. as like, so I can become some big leader, you know, or whatever. <laughs> but we realize like he is using it. He's just being a punk kid uh, with it. Uh, but th- that's the thing is if we see where he is in life, He's got, you know, foster parents, but clearly he doesn't get along with them. A couple of great character actors in that too, by the way, that uh, often show up in, in, uh, James Cameron stuff. Um, I, I do find it funny. Jeanette Goldstein is, was in Aliens and played like Vasquez, which, and then Xander Berkeley's been around forever and had done a hundred things and he's, uh, the foster dad here and he's just kind of being a bum. You know, he's just a regular working dude. And what I like though is when we see that, they're kind of fed up with him. They don't know what else to do. And he doesn't really listen to them. And, you know, he takes off. And when we meet them, Robert Patrick, the T-1000, has come by. And he's just playing nice, officer-friendly. This is what I love. They don't give Robert Patrick a lot of lines, but he's so good in them. He's like, are you the parents of this kid? You know, and they're like, oh, well, now what? You know? And then yeah. they get a little concerned because they say, yeah, this other dude came by on a bike earlier looking for him. I'm like, if a motorcycle bike, Gang came by looking for your your ten to twelve year old kid. You might be a little concerned about that, guys. But whatever. Well, I have a feeling that uh, they're probably newer foster parents to him, and they just haven't felt him out yet. But they're not having an easy time with him. Obviously, he's kind of doing his own thing, ignoring them, not listening to them, getting in trouble a lot. Um, and you know, a cop showing up is no big deal to them because. They've seen it before with John. I do like that interaction, too. I love how he's like, oh, you don't have to worry about that guy, as if he already knows who it is, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> and they don't worry about, about him. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry about him. Can I keep this photo? Oh, yeah, sure. No problem. Yeah, exactly. So, but, but we see where John is and then juxtaposed to where Sarah is now, because we bring back the doctor from the first movie, which I thought was a great callback because that guy actually has a has a grand scene uh, in the movie as Doctor Silverman. He really gets to get all the exposition out about what Judgment Day is and all that stuff in the first movie. And in this movie, he's leading around a bunch of med students talking about patients, mm-hmm. and he starts talking about her again, like she's Michael Myers or something. You know, she's so showed defective disorder, and she you know is a 
she thinks, uh, you know, she gave birth to the leader of the resistance of the nuclear war that's coming and, then she's in the, her her you know cell or whatever, and she's got it all torn up, and she's doing pull ups. And I mean, Linda Hamilton is jacked in this yeah, movie, big time. And, and it was a big deal to see her like that because I mean, if you saw her in the first Terminator, she's kind of soft and you know just just mm-hmm. a young thin looking woman. Yeah. She'd been on Beauty and the Beast before this came around. Man, she was doing like low rent TV drama, so it it wasn't like that was, was a good show, man. Yeah, I don't remember it, but I just remember I Ron do. Perlman mm-hmm. was in it. But uh, <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> she she's you know ripped up, and I love that she drops that like how's your knee, and he has to explain to the doctors like she she stabbed me with my pen, you know. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, which is it's it's fun, but it gives you a sense of sort of where she is in this movie. And later on, you know, you see one of the uh, the people that's uh, the orderlies or whatever tying her down. He licks her face, and it's just it's real gross. And of course, she beats the crap out of him later because uh, that's what we want. But you see where Sarah is at this point is she got herself institutionalized, and it is where he drops that bit of exposition where she tried to blow up a factory. Because yep. she was convinced it was part of the, the the plan, the conspiracy plan, and they locked her up for it. And you know, I, and not to make a big political statement here or whatever, but we're in a time when you know the stuff you read online, the stuff you say out loud, people are paying attention to that now, and you can get in some real trouble for it. And and especially if you act on it in a very negative, violent way, like she does here. So I mm-hmm. get why society would try to lock her away at this point, even though oh, we know absolutely. she's right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the same thing. Like, if she tries to blow this place up, they catch her. Obviously, she got uh, put in for mental issues. So mm-hmm. she's in a mental institution because she they think she's crazy, right? She's yeah. a nut job. And so, yeah, it makes complete sense. You would see that, too. You know, no different than, you know, Timothy McVeigh or someone who blows up a building yeah. and they declare that he's nuts and send him to an institution such as that. Now, he didn't but you know could very well have been that way so yeah i mean it makes sense that she's in this institution i really like her she's got this attitude like i just got to get out of here and i love the scene later where she's in the review with him yes and she's like you can she's like totally giving him every line that he needs to hear and i'm thinking well when did you stab him in the knee then? Because if you've been good for six months, what the heck? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, that is great. She's like, I've learned a lot and I'm ready to be a mother now. Like she's clearly just played him and he, and to his credit, you know, movie doctors are usually morons and, and he kind of is one, but he's like, yeah, I don't think so, Sarah. <laughs> you know, like he's, mm-hmm. he's heard the game. He knows. Because, yeah. Yeah. Well, he even says to her, he's like, I think you're just saying what you think I want to hear so that you can get out and you're dangerous and I can't let you out. And that's when she loses her mind and starts yelling yeah. at him all again. And, you know, they, they, he even shows like a video of her, you know, just ranting and raving and stuff. And you see that she has become what Reese was. Cause if you remember back at that first movie, he doesn't go as big as she does in it. But when they arrest Michael Bean and they have him in the interrogation, he's going, I don't know. I didn't build half of this stuff. I'm just telling you what's happening. And at one point he just loses it. He's like, you know what? I'm tired of asking you questions and talking to you. Who are you? You're dead. All of you are dead and you don't even know it. And he yeah, just keeps. She uses that line in this yeah, movie a and couple she uses times. It too. Yeah. There's, that's what I say. This movie is an interesting 
sequel in the fact that it does replay a lot of the the hits. And we talked about that in Back to the Future too. Some of that worked and some of it didn't in that movie. In this movie, I think it works because it's more like echoes of stuff happening. Yeah. There's that current in history where stuff just repeats itself, you know, because people are people, folks are folks, you know, and stuff often repeats itself. And you do repeat what you hear and what you learn from. And you see how much that influenced Sarah and what that moment was for her. Yeah, for sure. I agree 100%. I mean, this this tells us all we need to know about Sarah in this movie, too. I mean, she's a completely different person than she was in the first movie, and oh, I yeah. think we've, we've talked about that. But um, I, you know, I love her savviness, too, as she, you know, is sitting there and they get distracted. She steals a paperclip. Yeah. You know, and, and, and we all know what that's going to be used for, right? I mean... It's quite obvious, but uh, I think that it's pretty cool. Like you can't leave her alone with anything because she will find something there and use it. And they let their guard down and she does. Um, but let's talk about uh, where we first really get involved with the Terminators and John Connor, because they're at the arcade spending $300 in coins that they stole from the ATM <laughs> playing games. And uh, this is where, uh, you know, the Arnold's character T-800 is coming to the mall, but the T-1000's already gotten there. Now he's going around the mall looking around for these, this kid. Uh, and in the, in the meantime, John's going to play these games and his friend is going to get some more coins. The T-1000 asks him if he knows who he is, shows him a picture and he's, no, I don't know who that is. So he runs quickly over to John and tells him, you got to get out of here. The cops are looking for you. And it, you know, at the time, it's just cops, right? You know, probably thought they figured out he stole the $300. So he goes running. The T-1000 sees him and the chase is on. And now it gets real fun because you've got this T-1000 chasing down John throughout the the back of the mall like in the in the corridors of the mall behind all the stores they all have those corridors you walk down and get to your cars and everything else he's running around down there and here comes terminator arnold as well and he's got a big gun and oh. now he's caught between two guys he has no clue who the hell are and he says get down and then the guy shoots the other guy, and he's like, holy shit. No, no, no. It, the way Arnold enters is what's so awesome. He's literally carrying a shotgun <laughs> in a box of roses. Of roses, guns yes. and roses. He steps on the roses. It's in that video. <laughs> it, but it's so, like, it seems so ridiculous to describe it. But when you saw that in 1991, and even when you see it now in this movie, it's an awesome moment. Because it's if you badass, don't know yeah. whose side who's on, and the look, the way Furlong plays it is perfect, is... Which one of you is trying to kill me now? Because yeah. now I'm realizing all that crazy shit my mother said is real, and I'm trying to deal with that. And that's when when Arnold says, get down. That's when you know, oh, he's on his side. And it also reveals something that this other Terminator is not like him. Because he gets shot, and it just peppers him, you know. Yep. He shoots that, that T-1000, and those big silver holes start popping up in it that have to melt back together. And it's like, oh, we got a whole different animal this time around. And, oh, and I mean, time. the fight is is very reminiscent of the first time the Kyle Reese and the Terminator face off in that club where the Terminator gets thrown out a window. You know, Arnold gets thrown out another window in this one. Yep. But it's for a different purpose. This time around. Definitely. And it, and it shows us the differences or the advances in the, the Terminator that the machines have mm -hmm. versus the Terminator 
that John Connor in the future has access to, right? Right. Like the machines have the new model. He's got to use an older model that he has reprogrammed. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So that's a big deal in this movie because Arnold is not susceptible, insusceptible to pain or he can, or not pain, I should say, but damage. He can take yeah. a lot of damage, but he can also be destroyed pretty easily. Whereas this other one, you're watching him get shot, get split, get blown up, and yet he's still able to come back together. And you're wondering what the hell is it going to take to kill this thing and get rid of it? Um, it's pretty awesome, I thought. Oh, th- what that, whole, that whole chase out of the mall when Robert Patrick breaks into that run, which d- I now call the Tom Cruise run, but it's actually before Cruise started doing that, that arm choppy thing. Robert yep. Patrick says, I run that way because I have a bad knee and that's how I have to run. Oh. And they even built in like a limp for the thing after it gets blown apart a couple of times to account for the fact that after he runs, his knee would kill him. And so, you know, it's, it's just a neat little thing, but you watch him do that and he never breaks a sweat. He doesn't breathe. I mean, it's just, it's just a machine moving forward and it's, it's and moving cool. fast. Yes. And, but that chase. <laughs> When the T-1000 steals that semi-truck and he's chasing Arnold and, and they were furlong on the bikes and they go down to the L.A. River and that, that truck crashes down on them or whatever. And, I mean, that is a – what a killer stunt. And, I mean, you're talking about stuff that – all the T-1000-y stuff is computer-generated, and back then, that was a very big deal to even make that happen. And if mm-hmm. it, you got to really think back, like, if the movie The Abyss, which is what Cameron did in between Aliens and this, if that didn't work as well as it does, you would never have any of this Terminator stuff, because there's a lot of precursor to the way the liquid metal stuff works in that movie. And... You see all of that, but all this other stuff is practical effects. They're wrecking a real semi over a bridge. They're, you know, they're riding these bikes all over the place and they blow up the semi and that thing comes walking out of it, you know, totally glimmering yeah. and then just reforms back into the police officer. What you realize is he's, he's not really wearing the clothes. He stole the gun because he can't make machine parts. Arnold will say that later, but he's just sort of glimmering what he ran into and what he can see, which makes that Terminator even more dangerous. Cause we already know the T 800s can mimic voices. Cause the Arnold Terminator did that in the first movie yep. and he'll do it again in this one, but this one can even go deeper. And it's, it's almost yeah. like this chameleon thing coming at you. So it's a, it's a totally different threat, but man, what a great action set piece. All those oh, chases yeah. are. You, you mentioned the semi coming off of the bridge and, and crashing down. How about when it crashes into the top of the bridge and decapitates half of the yes. thing? And he's still going. He just yeah. pushes the windshield out of the way and keeps going. Just a an awesome, awesome scene. And um, I remember uh, thinking maybe it was a, l- a bit long before, but I, I dug it again as I watch it every time. I'm like, yeah, this is a long scene, but I, I don't care. It's just really, really well done and a lot of fun. So, you know, this scene goes on and on and they finally escape and get out and, and, and are on their way. And Arnold is trying to get him out of town as far away as he can so that the T-1000 has no clue where he's going to go. Right. And of course, at this point in time, they have another really great scene where they're sitting there and he's just ticked off at, at the Terminator and he starts yelling, save me, save me. And these two, like, I don't know if you want to call them gangsters or what are they are. No, they're two like, the corner, like muscle building a guys. Muscle guys. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah they're, li- they're, yeah, they're, they're weightlifting in the middle of nowhere. Just great <laughs> stuff. And they come to help. And, you know, John has finally realized that 
Terminator has to do whatever he says. He has to yeah. listen to his commands. And, and so now he's like, cool, you know, this is pretty awesome. And Terminator goes to, you know, beat the holy hell out of these guys. And he has to tell him, no, you can't kill. He's going to shoot one of them in the face. He has to move his hand out of the way. He's like, yeah. why not? I'm a Terminator. It's what right. I do. That's, that's my job is I, yeah. I terminate. And uh, so now he's like, you, new rule. You have to do whatever I say. And I say you can't kill anyone. Which leads to some hilarity yes, <laughs> as, we, as we go on here, but yes. just real good stuff. I, I want to say the cool part of this, too, is when you're watching the T-800 and John try to relate to one another and stuff, there's some good comedy in there. And, mm-hmm. and I don't think that gets appreciated enough how funny Arnold can be in the right moments and that this movie takes time to breathe and do that a couple of times. It'll do it here. It'll do it after the next big scene when they break Sarah out too. And people always talk about like, Oh, the movie slows down too much. Then I'm like, no, he's supposed to be an annoying bratty kid. He was an annoying bratty kid. Like let him be that. Like th- this mm-hmm. is funny. This is a breath after all this action. You, you can't go 90 to nothing when you've got this this complex a story going on. You, you got to right. stop every now and then and take a, take a deep breath. And this lets you do it. And it, it's the humor in the way that you can tell the Terminator is trying to listen and process what John is telling it. But it, all it knows is terminate things. Like that's just what it does. It's right. I'm here to protect you and terminate anything in the way. That's what I'm supposed to do. And he talks about, I got to go warn the foster parents. He's like, absolutely not. He's already probably been there. That's exactly where I would go. That's where I went and found you first, you know, and they make that phone call back. And that's when you get the big reveal scene where he, the T-1000 is hanging out as his stepmom at home. And he you know, stabs the stepdad with that knife arm, which is an yeah. awesome look. And they trick it with the whole dog name and all that stuff. And that's when what what's funny is when uh, they hang up on it. The T-1000, you know, changes from the mom into itself again, to the police officer thing again, which I, I always wondered, like, why keep going back to that? But I'm like, no, it's perfect. Nobody questions what a cop does. Right. You can go wherever you want. So it makes total sense. The look on it on <laughs> Jeanette Goldstein's face as they're doing that transformation is like, damn it. I thought that would work. You know, <laughs> like, it's almost right. like mad that like, ah, oh, it didn't work. Well, dang it. Now I got to go find him again. Yeah, I like it. Oh, how's Wolfie? Oh, Wolfie's fine, baby. Wolfie's fine. Uh, yeah, that was a great scene. Yeah, she's never uh, this nice. <laughs> but it was it was important because it, it was important to let John know that you can't go back to what you know now. Yeah. It, the world's different now. You have to you're on the run and you have to survive. Yeah. So, there's no going back. There's no warning anyone. Anyone you knew before, just think of them as dead to you because they can't you can't help them. And T1000 knows who they are and he's going to go for them. And that includes your mother. And Correct. Th- he has to basically order the T-800 like, no, you have to go where I'm going. I'm going to get mom. Right. We have to go do it. And he's, I mean, the T-800 even says, like, this is a very bad idea. You know, oh, but yeah. they, they roll up to the institution. This is where we get the new training involved. The guard comes out, and he picks his gun up, and he shoots him in the leg. <laughs> and then steals the the cop's gun. He's like, you shot me, you son of a bitch. And the Terminator <laughs> looks at John's like, he will live. You know, right? it's like, wow. I was like, but that's funny. I mean, it's not supposed to be funny because he shoots a poor guy in the leg, but it is funny. It's hilarious. Well, he kneecaps everyone now, which is, I think, I think that's, that's brilliant. You know, how else am I going to stop these guys if I can't kill them? Well, I'll take their legs out. Exactly. <laughs> they ain't going to go anywhere after that. They can't chase me at this point. Exactly. And he does a great job with that. And he does it uh, several times in the movie going forward. But this is a great scene. Uh, we have, like I told you, Sarah had stolen the paperclip and you're, 
friend, the new guy, uh, licks her face and leaves. And that's when she sets herself free. And she comes up with this big plan. And she's able to get out. She picks her lock. She's out. She is taking out anyone who is after her. But she, her main goal is to get to the doctor so that she can get herself out of the actual building. So she yeah. gets to the doctor. She fills up a syringe with, uh, it looks like... Um, like, looks like or something. Yeah. Well, it looks to me like uh, 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 coolant, right? Yeah, yeah. For your car. And I don't know what it is, but she fills that up, sticks it into the doctor's neck, like deep. And she's carrying him around. She's like, you have to let me out. You need to open doors or this is going in his, in his throat and he's going to be dead. And so the doctor's just like, yeah, just open doors, open doors. And they, you know, going and going. And she gets out and then a chase ensues. And this is just done perfect, I think. She's chasing all the way around in this, uh, this institution when all of a sudden she gets the elevator clicks the elevator to open and there's her worst nightmare yes the terminator is right there and her reaction is spot on dead cold in her tracks freaking out and trying to back up trying to get back into the institution now <laughs> and i just thought this was just so well done. Even with John there, she she is like out of it at this point. Like I oh, it's awesome. Lost and, it. and they're both there at the same time. We see the T eight the T one thousand come up out of the floor. That's a great scene. It's the first time we get twin actors in the movie. So that that security guard that impersonates for a minute stands in front of the other one. And, you know, kills it with the spike eye. Yeah, and then he's going after her from one direction. Meanwhile, here comes the T-800 and John to get her. And, the, you know, all the orderlies now have got her. They're trying to hold her down, and Arnold's throwing them up against the wall and all this stuff. What I love is that, like, while they're holding her down, nobody's paying attention to the six foot three, 250-pound guy with a shotgun walking toward them, but sure. Well, I don't think they knew. They didn't realize it was there. They were so focused on her that yeah. they didn't realize anyone else was there because they, they've been chasing her, and here she is now in their grasp. And uh, I love this scene because it, it just goes to show the doctor that all this was real like yeah. he gets to see arnold shoot the t-1000 and the t-1000 have these big holes seal back up and now the doctor's going oh shit you know right. maybe she wasn't crazy after all and i thought that was a very good scene for her and they you know so now the escape is on they got to get the hell out of there and uh they end up getting out of there and they head down towards mexico uh mm-hmm. where she has some people who have been holding supplies for her because she's gotten ready oh yeah well before they head out though hold on <clears throat> Before they head out, though, there's two things that there are two great scenes that you see. One is a Cameron callback where an aliens, the, the aliens trying to get through the elevator door, it pries it open the same way, and they shoot it right in the face with a shotgun. It has pretty mm-hmm. bad effects in that one. This one, it looks awesome because T1000 opens that door and Arnold's is like, bloom, right in the face, and it just splits him halfway open. And that's when you see the doctor watch it reform, too. When it goes after him with those hook arms or whatever, and they finally shoot it off of the back of the car they've stolen, there's that one little hand still sort of sitting there. And when yeah. John flips it off, the, you know, Robert Patrick runs up to it and it just sort of soaks into him. It's like, man, this thing is just so cool. Like, it's walked through the bars. Like, all of that stuff we're talking about is 30 years old as yeah. a computer effect. And, Brian, you could watch a movie 25 years old that's got a lot of computer generated effects in it and you can see the seams in it. These still look amazing. I mean, yeah. the work that they did on this is, is groundbreaking. 
Yeah, they did some top-notch stuff. I mean, I think at the time, if you think about it, you know, Lucas had his division where they were doing a lot of this stuff. Yeah. Uh, Pixar was just getting off off on their, their legs there. And uh, so you didn't have a whole lot of these computer-generated companies yet. I mean, yeah, it would become I, a yeah, big it, thing. It, it was Lucas's yeah. group. And I mean, you know, everybody worked on something this big, you know, but but the computer-generated stuff is is amazing. Yeah, but it's still moving that story crazy. forward. Yeah, like you say. And and then, like you said, we, we get to the part where they go to Mexico, and this is where the movie does take a big, deep breath. Because yeah. we got to stop for a minute. We got to deal with the fact that Sarah... Basically, we've got Laurie Strode hanging out with Michael Myers now. And so <laughs> we got we got to handle that. We got to talk about it. And, she, you know, he's sewing her up because she's been stabbed in the shoulder at this point. And then she's pulling bullets out of his back while getting information from him, you mm-hmm. know, which which is neat that she doesn't trust it. But she knows for whatever reason, John does. And we get a lot of voiceovers and stuff from the Sarah character here who sets up for us that she realizes that like of all the people she tried to introduce John to or whatever, the one he related to, of course it would be one of these things. Of course it would be because (laughs) that's just fate and weirdness, right? It's just, it's, but, but it would, it, it doesn't have any emotional attachments to him, but it doesn't have any emotional barriers either. So it, it's not going to do anything, but just protect him until it absolutely can't do anything anymore. And that's the best thing in the world that he needs. Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. Um, I thought it was interesting. This whole place that they have down here, it's on the border. I don't think they're actually in Mexico just yet, but it's on the border and she's got friends down there who have been basically holding her supplies uh, yeah. for her. She's got this underground layer chock full of weapons, military grade weapons, everything you can ever want. I love the scene where Arnold and, and uh, John are down in the, uh, in the weapons factory and they're going through all the different things and he picks up that big like i don't even the minigun yeah the- yeah that is just just crazy and he looks at john and john's like yeah and he's like mm-hmm, yeah this yeah, is he, mine. he got that he gets that handheld grenade launcher and it's like yeah. ah the terminator's happy now it's found what it wants and in this time she's asking him questions about uh the doctor or the scientist who creates basically skynet mm-hmm. and asking you know do you know anything about this and he's go and he tells her i've got uh, I've got full files on everything about it. And so she's picking his brain about this and figuring out who this guy is. And then what we don't realize is that she's planning to kill him. Well, she, you know, uh, we don't know what she's doing that information. What we do is we see her have a nightmare where she's walking up to a playground yeah. and judgment day happens. You talk about something that man flipped my wig back in 91, watching the nuclear blast go off in front of you and mm-hmm. blow you away, you know, and people turn to ash and all that stuff. I mean, just a, a visceral scene and one that really leaves an impression. And when she wakes up, she's carved, you know, no fate into the, the, uh, picnic table she fell asleep on and she rambos up and hauls ass out of there. They have no idea where she's going. And John figures out it's Dyson. She's going to go kill him. Like yeah. you, you fed her all that info and now she's, she's freaking out. She's going to go get him. She's going to go take care of it. Yeah. And so at that point we get the scenes where she is heading out to that place and, you know, armed to the teeth. Yes. And we get to see, uh, 
you know, Dyson and the family. And, and he's in this office working with tons of computers around him. This is not a scene that you would normally see in, in 1991. Uh, but, uh, he has tons of computers around him. He's doing something. He's researching. He's coding. He's doing whatever. His kids are getting ready for bed. And then all of a sudden, shotgun rings out, you know, guns just everywhere. And he's, doesn't know what's going on. He's trying to, you know, take cover. She's blowing up everything in sight. I mean, all the computers, everything in there. And she goes in to kill him. And, uh, I think she ends up shooting him in the arm, right? Yeah. The- she, she, she lays waste to his office from distance with a machine gun then runs in there with a pistol to shoot him. And she ends up hitting him in the back of the shoulder. Yeah. Gets him down on the ground, and it's a big scene for Sarah because at that moment, Brian, she's become a Terminator. She right. is, I am there to kill you. That is all I'm going to do. She's got him on the ground, and she's like, I won't let you do it. I'm not going to let you do it. And he has no idea. He's like, get my family away. Just go ahead. Go ahead. And she's got the gun on him, and she stops herself. And she becomes yeah. a human again, and she realizes, oh, my God, I've become the thing that I hate the most. You know, I've become this this you know, creature that all it does is kill. (laughs) And it's what she's obsessed with. And what what the cool thing about this for me is, man, is that when you meet Miles Dyson, he's just a genius engineer. He doesn't realize what he's doing. He has no idea what he's doing. Yeah. And you never do, right? You you know, you would never have any idea that that's what this was going to be used for or that it would have this capability. He's just pouring his life into it. And then John and the T-800, of course, show up right after, and what I love is that we don't get to see, you know, Dyson hear the whole story of what happens. We just see, you know, Arnold talking at the table at him. And it's great how he reveals himself when he cuts his arm off and says, you know, shows him that, that hand. Because what we realize and we've seen earlier is Dyson is working off of the busted chip from the first Terminator. And they rescued the one arm that was right. trying to choke Sarah Connor out at the end. And so he, when he sees that, he knows exactly what this thing is now or that, that there's a connection there and we don't get to see him hear that, but we just see his reactions. Like, I think I'm going to throw up, you know, and Sarah's was like, I think he took it pretty well. All, all things considered. Yeah, and, right. Yeah. And so it's a little bit of humor there in the game because now the chase is on for the rest of this movie. And he says, okay, we'll go to Cyberdyne. We'll destroy my work. Just, you got to go with me. I'm done. I'm out. You know, I, I believe you. I mean, he's really understanding, as is his family. I mean, holy crap. That poor kid's probably scarred for life, and especially after what happens next. But, geez, just to see this crazy psycho military lady come in and start blowing your house apart and trying to kill your right. husband, and then all of a sudden to be like, oh, yeah, well, listen to what you have to say. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> if it, uh, you would think they'd want to kill her. But, uh, yeah, just crazy. Um, I love the scenes in the, in, in Cyberdyne where they, they go in and, you know, you know Michael, you, you can't, uh, you can't get in here with, uh, give the guests at nighttime. You know the rules. And they all point guns at him. <laughs> yeah. I think you need to change the rules. I wouldn't touch that button if I were you, right? Yeah. And so then Arnold does what he does. Kneecaps him. <laughs> yep. As always. And they throw him into the bathroom and tie him up, which I think is hilarious. And they are on their way now. Uh, So they get in. They're heading up to get the piece. They have to get keys. And they have to uh, both turn the key at the same time in order to get the vaults to open. So that's their goal. What they don't expect is that other guards are there. And they find the the previous uh, night watchman 
in the bathroom tied up and immediately click the alarm, which then locks everyone's codes, right? Nobody can get in. Ah, but what do we have, John? We have a nice little hacker device that's able to steal credit card pins and find the one pin that still works throughout the whole place (laughs) and use it. Convenience, I say. Yes, it it is a little bit of the convenience side, but if if you're going with the movie at this point, you give it this because... Oh, absolutely. You know, John's like, I got this. You know, and what I think is funny is Dyson gives him a look like, huh? And like, well, looking for a job, you know? Right. (laughs) But they get, they do get, they get the arm, they throw it in a duffel bag, they get the chip. John puts it in his in his shirt, and they're getting ready to go out of there. But at that point, the the cavalry has shown up from the LAPD. Oh yeah. And so Arnold's like, I got this. And what I think is funny is. Uh, he tells uh, uh, you, John, trust me, I'm not going to kill anybody. And he opens up the window with that minigun and proceeds to blow away every piece of tree <laughs> and car and shoot at a lot of cops without killing any of them. Uh, well, but, he, he disperses know. them with the tear gas. So, yeah, I mean, you, you got to give him that first and at least he gets them out of there. But then he makes sure that they can't chase them. At the end, right? Gets exactly. that, gets all of that. Uh, and of but course, it's a great action scene, though. Oh, so, it's a I mean, fantastic. And, and, and again, action you're talking scene. about practical effects, all those squibs going off, all that stuff. And they had a real building they got to blow up for this when oh, they wow. finally blow the, the whole thing. But it's not over at the end of this, right? Because now they, they're trying to get out of there. And another wave of cops shows up when Sarah and Dyson are trying to get out. And Dyson gets caught in the crossfire and gets shot yeah. up. And he's, he's done. But he's got the switch, and he says, I, "I got it, I got it." And she gets out of there, you know, in a hail of bullets, only for him to tell those cops, "Like, he, I don't know how much longer I can hold this guy. You better get out of here because he's got his finger on the trigger, basically, to yeah. blow the whole floor." And it's it's a it's a sad scene to watch Dyson kind of breathe his last and drop that weight on the on the trigger, but you realize like he's given his last minute to do the right thing. And yeah. man, that they blow that whole floor out of that building. I mean, it's like I've seen out of Die Hard. It is pretty awesome, actually. I, I thought that was a pretty cool scene. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was tough to see Dyson go like that, but it also is good because he's the guy with the knowledge in his head. Uh, so now you've eliminated the, the work that they've done because it's yeah, you're all closing in there. the loop. It's what it, oh, yeah. hopefully it's not backed up anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. Well, as, as the sequels uh, tell us, it's uh, always uh, backed up somewhere. But, but for this, but movie, you eliminate the guy who knows the yeah. most about the project. You eliminate yeah. the building that has all the stuff and you've gotten rid of the arm and the chip that was used for all of that work too. Right. So you're starting from scratch here at this point, if you're going to rebuild that, but, uh, well, and, and that, Cameron's purpose was to close the loop. Like yeah. he, he said, if there was anything left open after that first one, we're going to close it this time. And him and William Wisher do a good job of, of tightening that script around that concept of let's close all the loops. And we got to talk about how the T-1000 shows up at the police shootout, though. It jumps a motorcycle <laughs> into a helicopter, slithers into the helicopter. It's like, you might want to go ahead and get out of the helicopter now because I'm about to crash it into this oh, building. Oh, dear Lord, right? Man, what, but, boy, awesome chase scenes because now not only do you have the cops bearing down on you, you've got that thing coming at you still, too. Because, of course, it hears over the radio, like, there's a shootout at Cyberdyne, and it's like, well, I guess I need to be there now. Well, he, he, they, they actually mentioned Sarah Connor yeah. uh, as being there. So that's why uh, he perks his information because he was just listening in. And then all of a sudden he's like, ah, 
So that's how he ends up there. And yeah, we got uh, great scenes here where we're going to bring us to that concluding uh, segment here. Where, they, where are they even at? I can't remember. They're, they're what, in a steel mill. They, they make it yeah. down the road to a steel mill. The T-1000's in a, in a truck that's conveniently hauling liquid nitrogen, but I'll give it to it. Our trio crashes into the uh, the building there. The truck crashes because the you know the T eight hundred is able to blow it off of its wheels. And what I love is the T one thousand gets caught in that liquid nitrogen and it locks it all up. It's the one thing yeah. to lock up liquid metal. And Arnold gets the great hasta la vista, baby, because you know uh, John's trying to teach you how to be cool, and of course he can't be. <laughs> but that's an iconic line at this yeah. point. And and. You know, when that thing shot and shattered, dude, I have vivid memories of seeing that on the screen. The whole theater erupted. We thought mm. that was the coolest thing you could ever see. I mean, it is just a great effect when it shatters like glass. And then two minutes later, you realize they're in a steel mill. It heats it all back up and it starts. Yeah. It's like, you dang. thought that was the end. Yeah. You're like, yeah. oh, this is the end. If that's how you kill it, you know, you freeze it and, and shatter it into pieces. That's but, perfect. But that's but, an mm. echo from the first movie because they blow the Terminator up in a truck and they think it's done. And then the skeleton comes after them. Yeah. Right? That's right. very, it's, it's like, yes, it's still going to keep coming after you. And it does. And uh, you get some real good interaction here. Obviously, John's being told to hide by Sarah to, to find a place to hide so you don't get caught up in this. You got the T-800 or Arnold going after him as best he can. And he, like you mentioned in the, in the plot summary, man, they get into a good battle and his face is getting scarred up. He's getting, I mean, just beat to hell. And then the Terminator takes a big long pole and shoves it right down the core of the T-800's body. And that shuts him completely down. What a cool little scene. And then at that point, you're thinking, oh, shit, right? Now what are they going to do? Exactly. Um, this guy's, this T-1000's got way more power than any of them do. They have no chance here. And, of course, the T-1000 thinks that he's killed Sarah Connor. Well, right? well, let me ask you about this. He doesn't kill her. He stabs her in the shoulder with one of his little pin moves or whatever. Oh, and he and goes he, to kill her. Yeah. And he tells her, call to John. Call out to him. I need you to do it so that I can mimic it. Like you realize, like I can only do it when I hear you do it, yeah. you know, and it's got that thing coming right at her head to threaten her or whatever. And my question to you is why does he let her live? Because well, he after, gets- after he gets, gets her done, he turns into Sarah to try to lure John to him so he can stab him and kill him, presumably. But Sarah shows up with that shotgun, and I'm like, why didn't it just kill her at that moment? It got, it got hit with something that it, it split him that, Oh, that's right. That he's doing that, and then that's when the Terminator hits him, and then he hits with the pole. Yeah. And then he hears John yell, and he realizes, "Oh, here's my chance to get him." You're right. I forgot about that. That's an interesting point because I've always wondered, I'm like, why not kill her? But I guess she's yeah. Gone he was going to yeah. He was going to for sure. Yeah. But uh, wasn't able to at the time. Uh, but th- yeah, you get you get John being called by his mom, of course, and falling for it, and heading right back towards the Terminator. It's a great great scene. I didn't know f- uh, until years later that. Linda Hamilton has a twin sister and they put oh. her in this role so that she could be the one calling and then she could come up behind it. And I did not know that either. Dude, that is a badass scene where she's racking that shotgun with one arm. That is hard to do. Very oh, hard yeah. to do. And like, she is strong and that is an awesome scene where she starts blowing that thing away with that, sh- that uh, military grade shotgun. It's a great scene. And of course, all the while as this is going on, we see that all of a sudden, Oh, look, T-800 is powering back up on auxiliary power. 
how nice and convenient that is. And I love the scene where he pulls that pole right through the rest of his body, and you're hearing it going. At this point, he's lost an arm, half the face is gone. He's got one grenade left in that grenade launcher, and he comes up over the ridge just in time to, boom, hit that grenade right in the T-1000. And that's a great explosion, and just that that weird shape that distorts the thing into. That's just an awesome scene. That is a great scene. I love that. It's just... It's really cool, and they did a great job with the effects on that because you get the face up way up in this weird arcing angle, and oh, just so well done. And of course, at that point, they're able to get the T-1000 into the molten hot uh, metal that's down below, uh, which then separates it completely. And I guess if it had a core, somehow it got to it. I, yeah. I don't know where that core would be if you could yeah. liquidate and all that stuff, but he yeah, found I'm not really it. sure how the how the internals work on that because we never see like his internal screens like we get to see on yeah. the But what we see is all the things he's mimicked at one time sort of Start rise up out, out of that pool, mm-hmm. and then it just splits into pieces. And what you realize is that it's destroying it and reforming itself, but it can't maintain shape long enough to stay together until it finally right. just bubbles out and it's gone. And it's gone. The liquid metal has been completely evaporated at that point, yeah. basically. And I thought great, that was a great, great scene. Yeah. Just a great scene. And that brings us really to the end of this movie where, uh, you know, they throw in the arm, they throw in the chip to, to the melt and lava to get rid of it. And then the Terminator looks and says, there's one more that has to go. And of course, John, being John, has fallen for this terminator as a friend and and you know wants to keep him around but they you know they can't do it and so the terminator gets onto the uh what what is it a crane of some sort like like the hook that you lower things in and out of that that molten you know piece with and i love it he says i can't self-terminate and he hands it to sarah and same i mean the same thing from the first movie left hand hitting a button to crush a terminator she ends this movie doing the same thing but this time there's a poignance to it. And I think it's, it's um, punctuated by the fact that you know, him and John have this big hug. And he tells John, he's asked John earlier, like, why do humans cry? You know? Yeah. And he says, I understand now why you do, but I can't. You need to know right. I'm, not, I'm not human. I can never be that for you. Your mother is. And he looks at her and he shakes her hand. And it's like this piece of sort of like, let's bury the bad blood here before you melt me. And it's, yeah, it's, a, yeah. it's a great end to a sci-fi action movie, though, when they're lowering the T-800 into that steel. And the last thing he does is give that thumbs up. Like, good move. And yep. that's it. I mean, it's, it's an awesome scene. It is a great scene and a great way to, to kind of close everything down uh, for this movie. Uh, because we've gotten rid of both Terminators now. And future looks bright we've gotten rid of the chip we've gotten rid of the the guy who was coding everything to create that chip and the guy who started skynet as far as we know skynet will never now be started because that building is gone and and hopefully with it all the records although as a computer nerd myself (laughs) you may have blown up the computers at his house but those hard drives will stay intact just fine folks just fine yeah so that there's always a way out but for the most part the loop is closed, and what you you feel about this is different. Is it's the same ending as the first movie, except they're driving off into the night south, you know, and it's for the first time with hope because we don't know what the future is going to be now. You know, mm-hmm. up to this point, Sarah has operated since the end of that first movie through now, knowing what the future was, and now she's 
changed it. Her yeah. and John and this Terminator have changed it. And it's, there's hope for tomorrow. In the director's cut, they do this like flash forward scene where he's in, it's the same guy playing the military John Connor, but now he's like dressed up like a normal person and he's a senator and it's, it's way too much. It's, it's no, like no. daytime movie cheesy. So I'm glad that they don't cut that. I don't think you need it. I think it ends best with the highway leading yeah. off into the unknown because that's the, the lessons of the two movies. The first movie is that you, this is what's going to happen, Sarah. You just need to get in line with it and deal with it. And in this movie, the theme is there's no fate but what you make for yourself. And so they've made their new future, and now they're going off to live and not be obsessed Finally, with right? this anymore, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, and hopefully uh, John becomes less of a, a you know bratty little teen <laughs> now, and yeah. uh, he's got his mom, so hopefully yeah. that's that's all he needs. And you know she's got to obviously be on the run because she's still technically a fugitive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're definitely not going to be hanging around the states, but you get the idea that Sarah's <laughs> got a network out there, so she can she can get lost in Mexico and wherever else. Oh, for go. sure. Yeah, for sure. So, well, Brian, we're at the part of the podcast where it's time to give final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings. So what are yours for Terminator 2 Judgment Day? I mean, no surprise here. I mean, we blew it at the beginning. For me, this is an extra large popcorn. It's just a great movie. And once you've seen Terminator 1... You don't have to revisit it again if you don't want to. You can just watch Terminator 2 over and over again because you kind of know the backstory anyway. It's fun to revisit Terminator 1, but I would find myself watching T2 10 times before I watch T1 again, right? It's just how it is. This one is just full of action, full of great effects, full of just a good story and everything else in it that uh, it makes it just fun to watch uh, for me anyway. So extra large popcorn. I join you in that extra large popcorn. This is one of the most fun, thought provoking, cool action sci-fi movies that you'll ever see. Uh, it's way smarter than it has business being. And I, I, part of that is because its source material is so good. That first movie is really good. Yeah. And I hold it up and this one up the way I do Star Wars and the Empire Strikes Back. You can watch them alone from each other, but really the best thing to do is watch them back to back. And just, you can yeah. just sort of live it that way, you know, and, and I think you have such a great story there, but unlike Empire Strikes Back, which really is just ends and then we have another chapter to go. This one ends with a, if you never saw another Terminator, you would be fine, you know, yeah. and, and I'll be honest with you, man, and we'll talk about the, the rest of the franchise here in a bit. And I know you have different thoughts on them than I do. This should have been Asta La Vista franchise. Like, the, oh, I agree with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause this was perfect. Like you didn't need to do anything else with it. Could you? Yes, but you don't need to because this movie totally works on its own. The effects in it are amazing. We've talked about them, but it's the practical effects in it that really hold up. And it's our four performances. Even Edward Furlong, as annoying and bratty as he is, that's what he's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. you know, Linda Hamilton's awesome in this. And Robert Patrick and Arnold are great foes for each other because you don't put somebody bigger than Arnold. This is when they figured this out. You don't get somebody bigger than Arnold to beat up Arnold. You get somebody that has stuff he can't do, yeah. you know, better powers. And it makes it fun. And all of it totally works. So extra large popcorn for me. Now, now where are you on the various Terminator sequels and stuff? Well, I'm going to be honest with you. Um I own a couple of them. I think I have Terminator Salvation. I thought that was... Just blah. I didn't enjoy that any at all. Um, 
a Terminator Genesis I thought was okay. I thought it was a decent movie. I don't think it's needed. Like you said, I think we, sh- we can end on T2 and be happy. What's the point of bringing Skynet back up? You know, just, oh, well, someone eventually is going to do it anyway, right? But, but I, I enjoyed the film for what it was. Um, and I haven't watched yet the new one, uh, at all. Would you say it was Dark Fate? Something like that. Yeah. I haven't watched it yet. Um, I will watch it because I think I'm curious. I don't know how it will be, but overall, I mean, they're fun, but not needed. Yeah. I, that third one, the back half of it is a lot better than the front half of it is my memories of it. And I kind of like the way it ends. I won't spoil it here, but I kind of like the way that it goes. It, it makes sense. I don't know that the performances totally work in it. Um, and it really exists because Arnold's getting ready to run for governor of California yeah, and it was a great right. vehicle to do so. So there we are. Uh, Terminator Salvation is just awful <laughs> in just yeah. about every way. It's, it, if it was just a movie about futures and cyborgs and didn't have any of the Terminator stuff on it, it might actually kind of work as just mm-hmm. a movie, but the laying on, when they lay the Terminator stuff on, it's way thick and just, it's like bad fanfic, man. It's just not good. And then Terminator Genesis is like the stupid sequel that you shouldn't like, but you do. So, I, you know, if I'm doing my Halloween, you know, series here or whatever, Terminator Genesis is like Halloween six or Halloween three. I shouldn't like them, but I, they're kind of fun to watch. They're just sort of stupid. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's fine. You know, it's, it's dumb. I Dark don't Fate, think I man. could ever say that about Halloween three. <laughs> dark, dark, well, you know, computers, uh, dark, dark fate, man. I'll, I'll be curious to ever hear your thoughts on that. Um, I had to work to get through that movie. Oh, uh, great. Cause it just, it just didn't last I, for me. I'm glad I only paid five bucks for it then. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's parts of that that, I think do people do like it. There, there's some good action in it. I'll be honest with you. There's some great action in it. It's well directed and it's it's you know got a modern sense to it. I don't know that it is necessary. And I think that's what I would say about any of these beyond part two is that you didn't need them. You yeah. know. And I don't, and I asked myself that with this in mind too. What if there never was a Terminator two? What would it be like to just have the Terminator movie? I'm like, well, that's a pretty badass movie. I, I would go with that. Uh, having Terminator two makes it so much more fulfilling and i'm with you t2 is a better film it just is top to bottom and it makes the first one better by proxy well and i think that's the the whole thing too is that it's a good movie t1 but with t2 out it's an even better movie yes because if you ended it with t1 ending the way it did your story's not solved and not fulfilled in yeah. in a way, right? Um, you still have unresolved things. Yeah, she defeated the Terminator and she lived to tell about it, but she didn't stop the Terminator from ever being built and she didn't stop from coming back. In this movie, you did, right? You you mm-hmm. stopped it from happening. You stopped from going on. Now, they find ways to bring it back because you can always do that. I mean, how many times has Michael Myers risen from the dead and everything right. else, right? There's always some way to bring them back. But if you never made another Terminator movie, T2 puts an end to everything and resolves it in a good way. So there's no need for it. But it also makes T1 a much better film because now – it has a conclusion. This is the conclusion of T1 for the most part. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you just watch them smash together, it's a great experience all the way through. Yeah. Well, Brian, been great talking with you about Terminator 2 here for number 300 on Filmstrip. 
11 years to the date that Crazy, we started this podcast with Anna and me and you back in the day. And holy cow, man, all the places we've been. <laughs> and for especially for you, man, you you were on the first like 200 episodes yeah. before we started finally bringing people in to host on their own. It was crazy. <laughs> like I was just like, how do you do it? <laughs> but you did. Labor love, man. But Absolutely. but yeah, but it, it's been fun, and I'm glad we you and I got to share this one together here because you know you and I started this thing you know, way back when with with yard of slaying and and all the other stuff and so when we hit the when when it just lined up when fate had it where that Isn't date that was going to appear 11 years and it was number 300 I was like oh we got to do something cool so it, it and we've knocked out some up. really we knocked out some really big ones this past year where we really wanted to do for yeah. I mean we've been doing this for like I said 11 years and we've had things on our list for so many of those and we finally have just started poking them out i mean i maybe it was covid and, and the, the extra downtime we had but we yeah. finally were able to knock out some of these heavy hitters and i think this is one of them uh and it was just when you asked about the 300th episode and what we could do for, to make it special i gave you a stack of of uh of movies i thought would be good and we both gravitated right to this one i think yeah. we, we were both like yeah it's gotta be t2 it's gotta yeah. be and so i'm glad we did that finally because i think it had to be covered. And, you know, I know we talked about doing the whole series. Thank God, though, we didn't. <laughs> I will yeah. say that. I don't know if we could have handled that. <laughs> no, that's why we danced around it for years, because I was like, and eventually we're going to have to talk about salvation. And I just don't know if I can handle that. <laughs> yeah. So good, good call. <laughs> yeah. So well, it's been a lot of, lot of fun. And folks, we appreciate you following us along the whole way. Follow the show's social media at Filmstrip Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You'll find announcements about upcoming shows, link to our letterbox page which has all of the reviews that we've done through the years go to filmstrippodcast.com you'll link to our anchor distribution site find us on the podcast platform of your choice apple spotify google you name it we're there please share the show if you can leave us a positive review it helps other people find the podcast for brian i'm jay thank you for listening to 300 episodes of filmstrip Thank you for listening to Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, filmstrippodcast.com. The Filmstrip theme music is produced and performed by Frozen Lake 121. All content used or discussed in these podcast episodes is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17.